welcome to Growing Up 80s, Episode 3, Part 2. This time, we're going to be talking about the Ghostbusters motion picture soundtrack. And now, let's try and listen to Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Darren. Hey, Robin. I want to tell you something. I'm all ears. Bustin' makes me feel good. Back off, man. I'm a Ghostbuster? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an old photo, Darren, of you and me and our buddy Ron. I know this photo all too well. It makes me laugh every time. It's it's kind of doubly funny. It kind of breaks my heart. Does it? A little bit. Okay, so this is a picture. We're staying down in your playroom, as we've already mentioned. Yep. And This would be October of 1984. That's what we think. It's Halloween, 1984. We're all dressed up. Ron and I show up at your place. Ron and I are both dressed up as Ghostbusters. Yep, you are. And Darren is a detective. Darren didn't get the memo. So, I guess somehow we came up with this elaborate plan to be Ghostbusters for Halloween, but we didn't tell you. I don't know. Is that it? Or do we tell you and you said, ah, I'm going to be a detective? I, I... Don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, it makes me laugh because I think, man, Darren just seems like such a loser there in his detective outfit when Ron and I are cool Ghostbusters. But, but Darren is so self-confident in that picture. He is just so smug <laughs> with his detective, like his long detective coat yep, like and a your hat. The hat and I think a pipe. I think so. And you just look so sure of yourself that Ron and I are kind of like, you somehow have the upper hand, even <laughs> you, though we're both Ghostbusters, you're like man. You're like the meat Ghostbusters, and I'm I'm this hard-as-nails detective dude. Yeah. You know what we should have done that could have saved that whole thing? No. We could have just said, hey, you're Walter Peck. We could have made you Walter Peck. Yeah. Just take off the hat. Take off your entire Halloween costume. <laughs> you could be Walter Peck. I have a feeling we suggested that, and you said, nah. I don't think that you thought of that. No. You know what else was strange about that detective costume? No. I'm pretty sure that inside the jacket, I had Atari cartridge boxes <laughs> in there. <laughs> or something like that. That'd like, be awesome. I you was, could flash people. I was like the detective slash back of the truck. You're looking for some Atari cartridges? <laughs> Whoosh. Cheap. <laughs> Cosmic Arc? only been played once so in the spring of 1984 same year we got our Commodore 64s Ghostbusters hits the theaters yeah and we probably saw it in the theater I think we saw it in the theaters multiple times I think I saw it like 10 times I kid you not because after it was in the main theater, I saw it with you yeah. and Ron and everything. It went to the Cheapo Theater. In Victoriaville. In Victoriaville. Yeah. And I, and I love that movie so much. I I went there on my own, which seemed like kind of a loser thing to do. Well, especially when we're so young, too. Yeah. Well, not a loser thing, but that's weird. I'm like 11 or 12, maybe. Uh, I don't know how long it was in the budget theater. You know, yeah. This was later 84, maybe even 85. Could have been, could have been. I'd hop on my bike. It was Tuesday, cheapo Tuesday or whatever. Two bucks. I'd sit there and watch Ghostbusters on my own. I did that lots of times. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, I might have seen it in the theater ten times. I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. It was. Yeah. Now, what are you holding in your hand there? I have an actual vinyl Ghostbusters original soundtrack. We have to shout out to our friend Richard. That's really nice. Who is a vinyl collector. He was a vinyl collector when it wasn't cool. And I asked him, you got that? He said, oh, I'll have to look in the archives. So he went down to his basement. Yeah. He was out of town. I was looking after his house. He never told me he found it. I walk in the house to check on his place, and there it is. Nice. Beautiful. That is. It's got some great shots from the movies on the back. Yeah. It's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And this is how I've been listening to it. Oh, yeah? Uh, at home, just on vinyl, almost all the time. Okay, but not in the van no, on no, the way No, not on the way here. On the way here, I was listening to the Air Supply song, <laughs> and uh, which... But not on vinyl. No. That's good. So, the soundtrack for Ghostbusters... Uh, came out in, I think, May of 1984. So probably right around when the movie came out in the spring. Yeah. So uh, I think we all had copies of it. I know I had my cassette Yeah, copy I had it on it, cassette as well. And I listened to this a lot. I have memories, and this may have even been from years after it came out, of sitting in the basement with my Commodore 64, my boombox on the floor with the Ghostbusters cassette in there, with the, uh, what was it called on the cassette when it would reach the side and it was special because it could flip it over and play the other oh, side? Oh, yeah, like an auto-reversing the deck. auto-reversing deck and just listening to it over and over again, playing my games, programming on the Commodore 64, yeah, just burning it into my brain. <laughs> wow. I might not have had the soundtrack, but I remember you and Ron both having it for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny that I might not have got it, but... Maybe I spent all my money in the theater watching the movie watching every the movie Tuesday. Itself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember buying tapes around the time this came out, and, and cassette tapes were like around seven bucks. And so I couldn't buy a cassette every week. I think I maybe I think I got a good allowance, like five bucks a week allowance wow, yeah. or something like that. Um, but I still couldn't buy a cassette every week. But I remember and it probably was at Eaton's because it seemed like every Friday after supper we'd go to Eaton's. Yeah. And I would buy cassettes at Eaton's and I probably got my Ghostbusters cassette at Eaton's. Right on. Yeah. We do this other podcast, this music podcast. Yes. And so we're kind of used to doing albums, talking about albums. Yeah. Our other, our other podcast is called A Comfortable Place on the Couch or Comfortable Place on the Couch. Yep. And it's analyzing the music of Midnight Oil, yeah, uh, a band from the 70s and 80s, and you probably know their hit, Beds Are Burning. They had a long career, and uh, there's lots of good stuff about them. Yeah, Check our podcast if you want, but the main point here is that... This is something we do. We're, we've, we've done 30 or so episodes 33 of, or 34 episodes now. Of Midnight Oil albums, and... Uh, yeah, so we're going to do the Ghostbusters album now. Yeah. This will be a little bit different. Yeah. And the way we often approach it, uh, as we mentioned, Darren is a drummer. Yeah. Uh, and I am a bassist and a bit of a guitar. Well, we both play some guitar. Yep. And uh, we both do write music at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my daughter, Rihanna, uh, is fourth year now at, as a music major. And she's got perfect pitch and quite a knowledge of music harmony and so on. So I usually listen to all these albums. I did that with this as well. 
uh, I listen to them with her and get her thoughts as well. So I usually bring a bit more music theory yeah. uh, to the idea. I'm not going to get deep in it here. No, but, you know, I think that we're going to some... take this a little bit lighter than we, yeah. we do with uh, the Midnight Oil stuff. But I think we're still going to have some fun with it, too. Yeah. So let's just jump into things. Okay. Something strange. The first track on the album is Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. What a huge hit, eh? It was a big hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got the stats here. It was released in June of 1984, um, but it took until August, the second week in August, before it hit number one. And it stayed there for three weeks, so uh, throughout the end of the summer of 1984 ghostbusters was top of the charts at least uh in in north america in the states it was nominated for the best original song not like soundtrack or movies thing but just overall it was nominated for the best original song of the year it didn't win do you know what who it lost to no give it a guess well, was it like Michael Jackson then? It was wasn't it? Michael Jackson. No. It was something that I think that we were quite disappointed that won Best Song of the Year. Yep. Stevie Wonder, he just called to say, say he loves, he loves us. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay, well, that was a big hit. I it mean, was a big yeah. hit. But, but it wasn't really our style. I think that we preferred Ray Parker I, I think Jr. So. I yes, think so Ghostbusters too. at the time. I'm sure you remember the controversy. Yeah. With... Uh, Ray Parker and Huey Lewis and the news. Yeah. There was a lawsuit that Ray Parker Jr. stole the baseline or sometimes you hear the melody. Yeah. 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 I remember how, how did you learn about that? Cause I don't remember how I, I don't remember how I originally learned about yeah, it. I, I do. I was listening to Casey Kasem's. Oh yeah. Countdown. That sounds right. Yeah. And I don't know if that's his top 10 or top 40 show yeah. or whatever. American top 40. Yeah, and uh, he would tell these little stories between songs. Of course, yep. they're super condensed yeah. soundbite versions. And yeah, he explained, and I think he told us that Huey Lewis was saying that Ray Park Jr. stole the bass line. Mm-hmm. But whether he explained that well, he's just like, well, you be the judge. And, you know, just played the song. Yeah. And then as a you know 11-year-old, I'm like, what? One song goes, I want a new drug. Yeah. And one song says, Ghostbusters. <laughs> How are those the same at all? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I thought, what a stupid thing. Now, when I listen to it, if you listen to the that repeating oh, yeah. riff, yeah. maybe you're going to edit this and play that a little clip. Sure, we should play. Like, yeah. well, let's play a little bit of Ghostbusters and a little bit of Huey Lewis's uh, and the News' song, I Want a New Drug. Yeah. And just listen to the bass line. dum 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 and also there's this little call and response thing going on mm-hmm. that's also very similar. Yep. It's just a little two-note kind of hook thing. So whether or not you hear that or not, we hear it. Yeah. Um, there's more to it than just that. 
Huey Lewis in the News was originally approached to write the theme song for the Ghostbusters movie. They weren't able to do it at the time because they were working on Back to the Future stuff. So that adds a little bit more to it as well. Now, they settled, I believe they settled out of court. Yeah, they did. But a few years ago, Huey, it feels strange calling him Huey. Yeah. Huey Lewis um, mentioned... Yes, and he wasn't supposed to be talking about it. He was not supposed to talk about it at all, and he did. Yeah, and kind of basically said that yeah, they did steal it. Yeah, and he they in effect bought bought it. You know, yeah, and uh, so now there's a countersuit from from Ray Ray Parker Parker Jr. Yeah, you're not supposed to give that stuff away. About this now, there's another element to this as well. Can I play you another song? Oh, sure. So I'm going to tell you the name of this song, and you're probably going to recognize it, and then you're going to listen to it, and you're going to say, Huey Lewis, you're a thief. Ah. Do you remember um, the band called M and their song Pop Music? It goes a little something like this. It's that same bass line. It's the same riff. So uh, you can go to YouTube. Maybe I'll throw a link in the show notes of of people who have mashed up pop music, Ghostbusters, and I Want a New new Drug. drug. And they... It comes together pretty nicely. Like yeah. you can layer them all quite nicely. It's wow. all that same baseline. Yeah. Now I think we've talked about this kind of stuff in the past, stealing songs and and the fact that music, as big as music is, it really is also a finite thing. Yeah. And there are chord structures that are used over and over and over again. Yeah. And this kind of stuff is bound to come up. Yeah. And so. Whenever I hear this kind of stuff, I I always think, okay, well, maybe I give a little bit of benefit of the doubt yeah. to things. The fact that Ray Parker Jr. And, and Huey Lewis in the News actually came to an agreement and paid money, exchanged hands and yeah. stuff like that. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. And, and the more your music is hook-based and trying to be popular, yeah. popular unfortunately does often require a certain simplicity mm-hmm. and repetition and that leads to a, a much greater chance yeah of well both sometimes deliberate ripping off uh or ripping off that you just don't realize yeah. uh you did hear it yeah and then it comes back and you think it's original yeah yeah the midnight oil case was uh Ringo Starr yeah, that's stealing right. uh, a Midnight Oil song that really seems like it was on purpose. But anyway. But let's talk about the song a little bit. Yeah. Because it was a fun song and and I really liked it. Okay, before we actually talk about the song, do you remember the top six at six? I'm sure oh, lots yeah. of cities had radio stations that had like a top six countdown yes. in the evening. Yeah, every day we got to phone in and vote for our favorite songs. Yes. Right? And I remember well past Ghostbusters had at least fallen off of the top six at six, is probably tumbling down the charts. I would phone multiple times every evening. 
I want to vote for Ghostbusters. <laughs> Do a different voice every yeah, time. Yeah, I did. And, uh, yeah. and did you ever get back on there? I don't think I ever got no. back on the charts. But yeah. I tried. I yeah. tried Ray Parker Jr. I was a <laughs> fan. So what do you think about the song? Well, it is layer upon layer of hook. Like it is, here's a catchy thing. Yeah. And then here's another catchy thing. And here's yeah. another catchy thing. Yeah. And just pile it on. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's ever been another song where I can identify so many hooks. We'll knock off a few of these hooks. Like yeah. obviously the bass line is yeah. a big one. There's the repetitious bass line. There's the, who are you going to call catchphrase yeah. in the in the lyrics and then the response ghostbusters yeah so that's kind of like a double or triple hook because not only are you repeating a catchy line like who are you going to call yeah. there's the response but doing a call and response in itself is another level of yeah hook like and they're they use it so often there's there's a line just one line of the song then there's that call and response there's another line to the verse, that same call and response. It's yeah. just happening. Somebody should count up how many times it happens yeah, in the so song. So much repetition. That's right. Uh, there are these uh, punctuated, these distorted guitars in it uh, that punctuate the yep. song. They're not always going, but they go yep. and stuff and emphasize the hooks. There's a synth riff. Which also builds on that bass line. It does a do-do. It's those two higher oh, notes. Yeah, yeah. So the synth is joining in at times. There's those yeah, yeah, yeahs. And which, everybody likes to sing along with the yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah, wants to do a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then they just keep mixing up. There's different percussion keeps coming in, like these different mm-hmm. electronic percussions. Yeah. And they punctuate they do that same rhythm but add another layer to it like are you thinking of that percussive breakdown yeah there's the percussive breakdown but other parts of the song there are these little added percussions that are there so they keep cycling it's like it's repetitious but variety yeah keep doing the same thing but in different ways so there's just so much to it oh one other thing about the i want a new drug yes both that and ghostbusters intro starts with, with that little guitar with Woo. this yeah it's kind of like a, a pick slide yeah. or a scrape or something yep. on an electric guitar they both do it come on come on guys yes at least it's not in pop music. Yeah. And that intro is excellent in uh, Ghostbusters, the eerie. Yes. It's it's great for oh, being yeah. spooky. Yeah. they And there's a few songs that, that kind of use that musical spookiness in it. And of course you're going to use it for a movie like Ghostbusters. Yeah. I found that it was a really clean, crisp sounding song, especially when you listen to the the instrumental version. Yeah. At the end of the album, like it, it really stands out to me, but everything seems to be just so spot on. And I'm sure there's a lot of programmed um, yeah. instrumentation going on, but even the actual live musicians playing instruments, everything is really tight. And it's not tight in a necessary, a groovy, swingy kind of way. It's just everything is just right on the beat where it needs to be yeah. in the song. And that's, it's good, it's proficient. 
but it's kind of got a little bit of that robotic yeah. uh, metronome type quality to it. It does. I think it's an extremely sequenced song Yeah, where almost all of it is electronic, but you know, of course there's the human voice. Yeah. Uh, there's like Ray Parker's singing. There's the backup vocal yeah. call and response. And there's that one real electric guitar. Yeah. But probably the drums, the bass, certainly the synths. Do you think that the bass is programmed? I think the bass is programmed. I'm sure the drums are electronic, or at least mostly. And because of the sparse feel, I think they can keep it very clean and very tight. When you have a real band with a real drum kit, we know this, that your recordings aren't going to be as crisp. They're Mm -hmm. going to be muddier. The more real instruments you put in. But this is kind of a trick of doing this hybrid song where it's mostly electronic but you still stick that like that distorted electric guitar in mm-hmm. there uh and those real voices yep and probably you pull off the microphone like when you're mixing it down you're totally silencing the audio tracks when nobody's singing and sure. it's just lots of clean crisp i i think that there's at least some brass stuff going on if not some saxophone but so. even that i'm not certain that it's real brass Mm -hmm. it could be sequenced but it does kind of sound real to me too yeah yeah it's it's hard to tell yeah the the 80s were full of these horns that didn't sound quite real but they didn't sound totally fake either you you just don't know yeah yeah the bridge almost kind of reminds me of michael jackson a thrillery kind of sound going into it especially with the really low keys I'm hearing those low distorted guitar chords. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's synth under that. I too. think there might be. Yeah. Actually, yeah. those um, those distorted chords remind me so much of the the soundtrack to Skate or Die on the C64. Yeah, yeah. Those amazing distorted guitar chords. The sampled ones, yeah. Extremely similar. That's in, true. In their yeah. sustain and tone. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's kind of got that that spooky vibe that reminds me of Thriller or something like that yeah. from from MJ. So a combination of bass synth mm-hmm. and also that high synth with the warble. Yeah. Uh, is also giving the spooky feel. Yeah. You know the Ghostbusters like the call like the response the Ghostbusters response in that call and response. Does it sound to you like it's basically the same one every time throughout the song? Or is it maybe that one female voice that's got that Ghostbusters that that is in there every time that just really stands out to me that's making me think that it's the same vocal response every time through? I thought I'm hearing a different inflection at the end of some of the lines Okay, where it's not... Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. She's very musical yes. in in the way she spikes her voice there. Yeah. Um, but I kind of thought there were different endings, but I guess... <laughs> you know what? And I wasn't sure that they were all the same, but they sure sounded really similar to me. And, like, I can pick out her every time, and most yeah. of the time it sounds the same to me. And I was just yeah. wondering, are they... Is that just, like, cut and paste and cut and paste the whole way through? Yeah. 
Now, a, a lot of studio musicians back then, especially, yeah. uh, were extremely good yep. at producing the same result over and over again. Speaking of yeah. really good studio musicians, I found um, a list of some of the folks, some of the personnel on the album, and I think that it's mostly with this track in particular. Ray Parker, of course, is doing the vocals, uh, some guitar, bass, synth, and drums. So I, I think he laid down most of the stuff. But as far as background vocals go, you might recognize some names like Kenny Loggins, <laughs> Sheena Easton, and Irene Cara. Wow. Getting credit for some BGVs. For guitar, synth, and other keys, you might recognize names like Steve Luthaker, David Page, and Steve Picaro of Toto. It's basically Toto is playing on this song, too. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so when you're talking about, like, professional background vocal studio musicians, I think they got some of them in this song. I think so. Now, uh, Ray Parker Jr., just a little bit about him. I was kind of thinking, oh, he's a one-hit wonder. I don't think I was aware at the time, like... So he had a band called Radio, R-A-Y-D-I-O, before, which apparently had some hits. But then even when he became a solo artist, do you know his big hit before Ghostbusters? No, I don't. I'm in love with the other woman. The other woman. Instead of me singing that, I'll just say uh, 1982. And that was quite a big hit. Yeah, eh? Okay. That's very catchy, repetitious chorus. Yep. And just like the same way Prince... I guess we all just form opinions of artists sure. without really knowing much about them, especially back then when we didn't have the internet to look sure. it up. Yeah. Yeah. And for example, Prince, I just thought he was just this guy who looked weird who sang. Yeah. And that was it, right? But then later on, I thought, oh, he's actually a really good guitarist. Oh, he's really a good producer. Oh, he actually plays every instrument, no yeah. demand. Yeah. Uh, so Ray Parker Jr. is quite a talent himself. He's written lots of songs. He produces them. Yeah. Uh, he wrote, uh, like, New Editions, Mr. Telephone Man was a pretty big hit. Okay. Do you remember New Edition, I, boy? I remember yeah. New Edition. I don't know that. And he's also an extremely good guitarist. Yeah. And so you can see pictures of him, or not pictures, go on YouTube and look up Ray Parker Jr. Yeah. And you'll find him playing at, like, jazz festivals. Yeah, sure. With his electric guitar. Like, yeah. Just really good. Right on. So... There's a lot of these musicians who had one or two. A hit. Yeah, just a couple hits. And you might dismiss them as a no-talent nobody who got lucky or whatever. Yeah, sure. But in fact, no, they're extremely good musicians. Oh, that's neat. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. With lots of talent. Yeah, because, yeah, like sometimes you hear about the vocalist who has a song written for them and we just need a vocalist to look good in the in, video. Type they sing thing. and they're cute and yeah. that's that. But not Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> he's, he's more than just He's more that. than just cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the video for the song. It's a little creepy the way he's going after that woman. Yeah, especially when she's like jumps out of bed afterwards and she's just wearing the, the skimpy yeah, and shorts it, and it's kinda stuff. Like, I'm not sure he's invited here. Yeah. <laughs> well, is he like a ghost? But even if he is a ghost <laughs> It's yeah. a little it's a little questionable. Yeah. And uh and then that he's mostly just dancing in front of her though. that's right what's he doing he's just dancing come on it's okay dance uh that also at the end of the video 
lots of superstars yeah. are are dancing along all with the celeb them. well yeah there's the celebrities that you see yeah. in the in the ghostbusters call yeah and then they have like the real ghostbusters yes. dancing, dancing along, along with them. on the city street yeah and uh yeah. bill murray tries to do like that break dancing move and can't really do it so he's lying on his back like <laughs> so a turtle really, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> is that it for ghostbusters yeah I, I just wanted to point out where it shows up in the movie right at the very beginning like you've got that intro librarian scene and and right after that it's the ghostbusters theme song yeah as the main title shows up and there you are going into the show oh before we move on to the next song Mm -hmm. we've been talking about our buddy ron again yeah um ron had the sheet music for ghostbusters for piano and I really wanted the sheet music for Ghostbusters. <laughs> and I was thinking about this one day last week, Alice, as I was listening to the song and thinking about, you know, my my kid's mind, it didn't have things figured out. I couldn't figure out why Ron just wouldn't make me a photocopy of the sheet music <laughs> and give it to me. It's like, you've got it. I want it. Yeah. What's stopping you from giving it to me? Why don't you just take a picture of it with your phone? Well, exactly. Why didn't I? Because in 1984, we didn't have phones that did that. <laughs> And we didn't even have easy access to full copiers. We didn't. But yeah. you know what? Ron came through. Yeah. It probably just... I was a pestering little... Person. Only child who wanted what he wanted. Yeah. And Ron gave me what I wanted eventually. And so I got to learn how to play Ghostbusters on the piano as part of my piano lessons and stuff like that. My piano teacher let me take that on as Your piano as a teacher song. would put up with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. I was one of those kind of kids that... Whether or not I had the music or not, I'd try to figure it out anyway. So my, yeah. my well, you know, my favorite song to play on the piano is the uh, theme from Inspector Gadget, which I taught myself. That's right. Do, 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 do. And yeah. so my mom would always say, Darren, are you supposed to be playing that song? <laughs> well, in the case of Ghostbusters, yes, I was. Yes, mom. Song number two, Cleaning Up the Town by the Bus Boys. The Bus Boys, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know much about the Bus Boys, so I looked it up. Oh, yeah, good. They were in Eddie Murphy's movie, 48 Hours. Oh, yeah. They put in an appearance there. Really? As yeah. a band? Yeah. I or as Bus Boys? Yeah, I think they're a band. Okay, yeah. cool. And uh, they seem to specialize in this kind of old-timey rock and roll. Yeah. So now we listen to it now, and it's old-timey, but I mean, even in the 80s... Oh, totally. Yeah. I think it has like a bluesy feel, but it's got like that boogie-woogie piano type yeah. thing going on. Um, it's kind of got like that doo-woppy singing type thing going on as well. Yeah, it, and it's uh, it's not exactly a 12-bar blues, but it's that same kind of thing. Sure. Where you've just got, in music theory, you got the 1, 4, and the 5 chord. Yeah. You know, do 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 in the root chord, C. Or for example, this is in C, by the way. Oh, okay. And that goes to the four, the F chord, then back to the C, then yep. up to the G, yeah, and then to the four, or five, yep. yeah. And so yeah, and, and the piano is really prominent. Yes, yeah. doing that Jelly Roll Morton or whatever yeah, you want to call right. it, that boogie yeah. woogie. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Like you were saying, it's not 
like this was totally unheard of this style even in the 80s because i can imagine hearing like billy joel kind of doing songs almost in this kind of style yeah yeah billy joel somewhat similar anyway that piano rock yeah you know that's yep. yeah that's right but i think it really does call back to yeah. that kind of 50s rock i think so too and and i really do think that it's got like a bluesy feel to it and it doesn't surprise me that dan Aykroyd is doing a movie that's using this in it right like, blues brothers of course there's the blues brothers thing and like if you've ever heard dan Aykroyd sing he's got that i don't know if he's a bass or not but he's got a really low singing voice and in the second verse of this song cleaning up the town they've got a couple guys that do like they switch off singing the lead vocals and stuff yeah. like that he's got a much lower voice and it's like this could totally be Dan Aykroyd doing this song oh, too. Okay. And so I don't know if, if he was directly involved with kind of picking out some stuff or finding bands that he liked to do it, but I can totally envision this being the kind of band that Dan Aykroyd would be into and yeah, wanting to have in yeah. his movie. Yeah. And just for the sake of variety, when you're doing this kind of compilation album, uh, deliberately going multiple styles mm-hmm. and thinking this would be appropriate somewhere in the movie. Yeah, and it's not like you use a lot of these songs. Like, you'd never hear any of the songs that are on here in their entirety in the movie, except for, like, the Ghostbusters, the main song, over the credits, right? Yeah. They do use the song uh, in a couple places in the movie. The, the ghost in the in the basement library type thing right after that. They kind of play this song, but then the big the big one is about a half an hour into the movie, when uh, I want to call her Janine. Is it Janine? Is that how you pronounce her name? Um, so is Annie Potts's character. Yeah, yeah. When she hits the buzzer and says, "We got, got one. one," yeah. And then they they show like the front of the fire hall, and the Ecto one comes out, and they're going on their first call, and they they use this move. Yeah, they, they use this music. This as intro their, with those big piano rolls yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a, a really neat place to to stick it. Yeah, it's a very fun song, very upbeat. Yeah. And, Great energy. Yeah, yeah, it's fast, it's fun, it's not incredibly long, it, it comes in under three minutes. In some ways, it, it kind of reminds me of something that maybe I could even hear Huey Lewis and the News doing as well. Yeah. Because Huey Lewis and the News kind of has that old 50s style rock and roll yeah, kind of type hint thing of about it. Yeah, they 50s thing going. Yeah. Yeah. The lyrics in the song is basically a telling the story of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's doing it with kind of a mythological, make, making it grander than yeah. it is, right? That their hearts were made of steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You came into the house tonight and after you stopped singing the Air Supply song, you kept on singing this, <laughs> this, the lyrics from this song. I think that when I was a kid, I didn't quite get, like I, I wasn't listening as close to the lyrics, even though yeah. I listened to it a lot. But like the whole boxing and trapping them and, and all that part... Well, I don't know what they were singing about at that point, but of, yeah, of course it's it's the it's the ghost trap that they're getting out there and yeah 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 it's it's a fun kind of a, a very it's the most literal oh yeah yeah I meant to say the the first Ghostbusters song is kind of like an ad for Ghostbusters yeah it is and, it's and like a jingle it's a jingle that's right not only to make the movie popular 
But within the Ghostbusters world, yes, their their style of TV commercials call five five five. You yeah. know, yeah. Who are you gonna call? Who Ghostbusters. Call? Yeah. So that's what that serves as, and this one serves as telling the story itself. Yeah. Yeah. And in a in a grand way. Yeah. I love that bridge. It's super chromatic. It just keeps going up. Like yeah. It, basically, it goes like C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E. <laughs> That part's really fun. Yeah. And that's the big group vocal. Yeah. Doing that. Um, they're, they take turns with the piano and guitar solos. Yeah. Which is a fun thing. Yeah. That a lot of old time, like, you take a turn, you yeah. take a turn. Well, yeah. And that's kind of like the a blues. bluesy kind of thing to do as well. Yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, it's got some literal doo-wops in the they song do, at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And they got that big horn section that builds up towards the end of the song. That's like, yeah. they got the trumpets, they got the saxophones, they're going. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like the Blues Brothers band boys yeah <laughs> you know that that could be those guys and i like the ending they've got one of those fall apart garbage can type endings at the end that we like to joke around with and, and throw on the end of just about everything that we're playing except for when we're actually playing for people besides ourselves if we're having band practice you gotta do that almost every song just about every song. ridiculous yep. ending yep yeah so it's fun to hear somebody actually do it for real, do it well, and stick it on an album. Fast, fun, short, leaves me wanting more. It's a good song. It is a good song. Saving the day. Yeah. Track three. Alessi? The, the Alessi or the Alessi brothers? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know much about them. You know anything? I looked up about them, but apparently nothing really struck me as noteworthy. It's in the key of E minor. Okay. So I guess it's interesting that it's a minor yep. key song. And Rihanna, my daughter, pointed out that the chord progression is E minor to C to D, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, the, the D major is a seven chord. Normally your seven chord is a diminished chord. Okay. Like when you're building, uh, when you do chords on the regular, built on the scale. Yeah. The seven chord would normally be diminished, but in this case it's a major chord. Okay. So E minor, C major, D major, back to E minor. And that was kind of a, probably a new kind of chord progression at that time like All right. it's one that really caught on later in the 90s and 2000s okay uh, so it's kind of it's maybe interesting yeah yeah i've got three songs that are my top three songs on the album and this is one of them yeah i really like this song i think it's a cool cool song it's really got that mid 80s synth key type thing going on it reminds me of something especially the beginning that might even fit like on the Miami Vice soundtrack or something like that. Yeah. It's uh, got that, like the moodiness. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. There's trouble here, but these boys are going to 
clean it up. <laughs> they're not cleaning up the town. They're saving the day in this in this one. They play this song as the Ghostbusters are arriving at the mayor's office mm. in the song or in the movie. And so you you put it in that context. You know, the, the mayor's calling them in to, to save the day. And it's got this cool, moody sound. Kind of at this point in the movie, this song helps to turn the Ghostbusters from more than just this comedy troupe of guys that are trying to figure out what's going on and they're weird and they've got some super strange ideas and it kind of really makes them into heroes like cool heroes at this point yeah in they the get movie. validated here right yeah yeah that's one of the kind of neat things about ghostbusters it's for a kid back in the 80s yeah they were goofy like these are these saturday night live guys yeah and they're doing these funny things and it's ghosts and that's silly and funny too yeah but they really do turn into like these hero kind of guys. Yeah. And and as much as they were nerdy, geeky guys, yeah. they were cool. Yeah, and, and they really are underdogs and losers at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Even though they're like the professors and so on. Sure. But they get fired. Yeah. And they have no money and they, they remortgage Ray's house yeah, that's right. from his parents' uh, house to fund the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is out against them. Yeah. And uh, so there's all these things, but the mayor's office really comes down to the mayor yep. and like uh, their local, like the, the big bishop is yeah, there yeah. and the EPA guy shows up and there's all this stuff, but they believe in the Ghostbusters. Yep. There's that real sense. That, yeah. yeah. They get pulled out of jail. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Like people are making fun of them and everything. And then, yeah, now they are heroes Yeah, and they're cool. Yeah. And like the music helps because yeah. music always helps. It does, and it's a it's a cool sounding song. Yeah, I like the synths. Yeah, that that major seven, I think, is what. Even though it's a minor song, I mm-hmm. think that major seven is part of what lifts it. Kind of gives it that triumphant yeah. or something. Sure. Yeah, okay, feel. right yeah. on. There's some really great bass riffing going out th- going on throughout the song. Yeah, the synth bass is really leading this song. Like it's a very it's very forward yeah. in the mix, yeah. and it's uh, it propels the song along. And the drums, even though they're electronic drums, to me it sounds like they're actually probably being played. There's so much variety in the way the drums, in the way that we hear the drums in this song. Maybe they're sequenced, but it seems like you would have to go through a lot of effort just to sequence all this different stuff every time through, just with all the variety and the different... Uh, turnarounds and stuff that are being mm. played throughout the song. I I wouldn't be surprised if there was um, like an electronic kit that was actually being played by a real drummer in the song. Sounds really good to me. Yeah. The only thing I kind of don't like about this song is the background vocals seem kind of corny to me or something. The saving the day, saving the day, that kind of stuff? I think so, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you've got like that 80s schlock kind of thing going on and come on it's the 80s yeah Duh, you're complaining about a song being corny <laughs> from the 80s yeah exactly that's what happens <laughs> yeah. that's what i don't know those kind of things endear songs yeah. like that to me yeah. too but yeah i can totally i don't understand how yeah, but no it's it's it is a good song it dates itself in that yeah. way yeah for sure Tell me, tell me, tell me, what am I supposed to do? In the name of love, yeah. In the name of love, 
Thompson twins. Yeah. In the name of love. Yeah. Now, how many songs that they're being in the name of love? Because I mean, the U two song sure. yeah. it, it's actually called Pride in the name in of the love. Name of love. Yeah. But there are a lot of like yeah. Wikipedia had like ten songs. Oh yeah. In the name of love. Okay, yeah. that's funny. But but anyway, that's just an aside. So the Thompson Twins, mm-hmm. you knew of them besides yeah, this. Yeah, Their big hit that I think of is Hold Me Now. Yeah, Hold Me Now. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also did Doctor, Doctor. Oh, yeah. Doctor, Doctor. Yeah. Can't you feel I'm burning, burning? Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Lay Your Hands on Me. Do you remember that one? Well, I don't know if I remember that one. Lay your hands on me. <laughs> <laughs> I sure it sounded exactly Just like, like that. that. Anyway, yeah. yeah. That's another one of their big ones. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I'm familiar with the Thompson Twins. I liked pop music when I was a little kid. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I was a little kid, but in 84, how, how old did we, we were? We were 11, 12. We were 11. So yeah, we were being turned on to radio music at this point We in were lives. listening to the radio. And so it we were listening to, to pop music on the radio. And I, I for one, enjoyed pop music <laughs> in the mid 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was familiar with the Thompson Twins going into this. This song actually was written in 82 and came out on a, on a Thompson Twins album. And so I think this is the first song that we have lifted from an artist's catalog and dropped into the movie soundtrack. Yeah. Their vocals were distinctly English sounding. Yeah. I, right? The accent really yes, is there. And I like this kind of thing. And yeah. he's, his vocal register is a little bit lower as well. He's not trying to hide. Because you know sometimes with um, English singers they kind of take on that american or that neutral english accent when they sing but yeah you really hear uh the englishness or or just the effect that they they bring to their pronunciation in it and and i like it and it reminds me of men without hats safety dance you know how we kind of which are australian but still well no no men without hats are from montreal men at work are the Australians. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay, so... So deliberately... Putting on that kind of, you know, drawing out your vowels and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed, because I, I covered that for fun a few years ago. Oh, and yeah. it was a nice register for me to sing in. And I kind of liked the, almost the theatricalness of the way they delivered the vocals in that song. And I hear that kind of thing happening in the Thompson Twins song here too, so... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, there are no friends of mine. This song shows up. Um, and it's just in the background, just for a little bit, when the guys are spending the last of the petty cash on the Chinese food. <laughs> yes. And they're up there, and they're, they're just eating their, their supper. And they're saying, well, to our first customer... Yeah. Kind of giving the toast, and you just hear just a little bit of the song just playing in the background, and that's all I heard of it in the movie. Did you hear yeah, it anywhere I, else? I didn't know it anywhere else. Yeah. I think when they choose a song like this, it's also to give. Here's the R and B influence, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Here's the old timey fifties rock. Sure. Uh, here's the really synthy yeah. saving the day, and now let's let's bring in something some, from the, the some UK. pop music. Yeah, from yeah. the UK with yeah, that. That's right. That's real... some of the new British invasion. Yeah, the eighties invasion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the new wave. I really enjoy the song. I think it's got like that great early eighties key synth intro that I'm such a sucker for. It sounds to me like this is something that could be in a John Hughes film mm-hmm. or something like that. 
Yeah, it's got a very prominent bass line. Yes. Uh, again, really driving the song. Yeah. And the video for it. Uh, oh, I it, didn't even look at the video for yeah, it. Yeah, the Thompson Twins are interesting. They, they're like this three, there's yeah. three of them. Yeah. Uh, and they, they're, I think they're all multi-instrumentalists. Yeah. So the one guy, like he'll be playing the bass in one part and it yeah. looks pretty authentic. And then he'll be playing the keys or the drums or whatever. Yeah. Like, like, okay. It, but yeah. it's the same guy. Right on. And they're doing that trick of those sparse kind of verses where there's a real focus on the rhythm. So yes. like drums and bass yeah. and that vocal on top yeah. and very little else going on yeah. except this punctuating rhythm guitar that just kind of hits yes. in certain moments. So there's a real sparse feel. And then that allows for the chorus to just go up, the, you know, the like, chorus just drives and propels the song forward. Cause it's got that ascending baseline going through it. All those two bars, right? Like starts, it's, it starts at the high bit and then it's, just drops down probably an octave or two and says boom 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 super effective like that a lot the intro is really cool too um it's almost like they've got like a really low sample rate drum type thing happening with it. And the snare is like super distorted. I was <laughs> thinking of like one of those bit crusher effects or something oh, yeah. that you might use like now to get that kind of sound going. To with break it. it down so chunky. Yeah, yeah it just like... sounds like a real digital distortion type thing going on. It's fun because it's got a little bit of roto-toms happening in it, just like at the beginning of the chorus. You hear, it sounds like really high toms, maybe. Yeah. And they kind of have maybe a sound of like um, a Caribbean-type drum. Oh, yeah. And they're often kind of played like that. So it's like that, in the name of love. And then it kind of goes into that. Just before we finish up on this song, on that rhythm breakdown they just throw every bit of percussion that they find in the studio and they give it a little shake or a bang around in there and they just kind of load up this this little breakdown with everything they've got. And then they've got that that falsetto, comes in with his falsetto voice, in the name of, in the name of, I don't It seems 80s, and it's the kind of thing that I really enjoy. Maybe my favorite song on the album. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if the Thompson Twins, In the Name of Love, is my favorite song on the album, let's yeah. go to your favorite song on the album next, Air oh. Supply. <laughs> don't think it's my favorite song but it's up there right maybe I, not no i don't think it is but <laughs> but i've got kind of a love hate thing with that oh yeah yeah okay okay so air supply is a band that people kind of love to make fun of 
Do they? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they've got a reputation, this idea of being the soft rock. Yeah. The soft rockers. Sure. Yeah, and just, it kind of invites being a rock band who always plays slow ballads. Yeah. Just kind of has a thing that it invites. Are you a rock band if you play soft ballads? Yeah. Are you a rock yeah, band? Yeah, are you really a rock or band? Or maybe you're just some pop balladeers. Yeah. And uh, b- because of the Midnight Oil podcast we do, I have Google searches, uh, yeah. alerts. Okay. For, for example, Peter Garrett, the lead singer. Yeah, that's right. Of the Oils. So- and, and I guess we do have a little bit of crossover listenership from the Midnight Oil podcast to this podcast. So... Yeah, I guess I need to be careful about not offending our Australian friends with making fun of Australia's air supply. Well, I'm sure a lot of them don't like it. <laughs> so whenever a Peter Garrett alert comes up, I read it. Well, this one happened to be air supply was in Canada just okay in the last year. Yeah. And uh, they're being interviewed by, you know, a radio station in Calgary or a magazine, whatever. Yeah. In Alberta. And... They were being asked some kind of hard questions about about soft rock okay, and everything. Yeah. But basically, they were talking about how they were around at the same time as The Oils okay. and Cold Chisel and some of these yeah, other hard yeah. rock and bands. But Air Supply yeah. is kind of from the same scene. Yeah. But not really the but same not scene. really, yeah. yeah. Um, Playing the same clubs at the same time, <laughs> but maybe to different audiences. Yeah. So anyway, the the guy from Air Supply mentioned Midnight Oil and oh, some yeah. of them that they were around them and that those guys were always good to them. Yeah. Even. <laughs> yeah. Even though that they're not really the same kind of. Even if they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So it it was funny that that's how I found Air Supply was in Canada just because they name dropped Peter Garrett. Yeah. But, you know they were oh, okay. in. Right they shared a change room with him or whatever. You know what's strange about this song? It no. looks like it was an exclusive to the Ghostbusters soundtrack. Ooh. I was looking to see where this showed up in Air Supply's catalog, and I didn't find it anywhere else. Maybe it's somewhere, but I, I think that they recorded it for the movie. Yeah. And I guess that would make sense, you know, if we're talking about just having like these different genres represented in the movie and finding a place for them. Here you go. Let's have a yeah. nice soft ballad. That's right. So here's a ballad. And who makes a ballad? Air Supply. Yeah. Air Supply. So even though there's a lot I don't like about the song, like it is so schmaltzy or something, yeah. you know, yeah. just, uh, it's got that, the soaring vocal yeah. over the, the, the swelling strings. Yeah. Yeah. It seems uh, so cliche. It. It is, it seems. But not the kind of cliche that all these other songs that I've been talking about being 80s cliche that I love. Yeah. 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 Uh, But what's strange is that harmonically, this is actually a very interesting song. Like it is not a simple song as far as the chords. The verses are in F major, Mm -hmm. while the chorus is switched to D major, which... Whenever I start talking about theory, Darren starts looking at the time. This song has the verses in F major, but every chorus it switches to D major. Okay. Which is not... Not in the same key. Not fully expected. Yeah. Uh, It has some interesting chords in it. And then the final chorus stays up in the F major. So it's interesting. Like normally the chorus is switched to D. Yeah. But instead they do the final chorus... 
Yeah. In it. So it, it does a lot of interesting things. Well, it has a, go. It has a full stop in the song. Yes, Which it does. Is, you know, the, the height of cheesy ballad. Yeah. Yeah, like everything I do, I do it for you. Yeah. Uh, it does go. a total stop yeah. like that. Yeah. But the song predates that. Not not that either of those songs originated that. Sure. But maybe this was an important part of it. Maybe. Here's a little trivia side. Have you ever noticed that when you're listening to vinyl, they put all the fast rockin' songs at the beginning of a side. Yes. And then they put the slow ballady songs at the now, end. I've heard that's not just to get you hooked onto listening to it, but that's there's something right. to do with like the groove width or the length or something that's, like that. That's right. The way like as as you go further into the record, the grooves actually often become smaller and there's the higher rotation. There's a number of physical factors yeah. that make putting the lower frequency slower oh. songs they sound better back at the down outer rim in the inner rim actually because oh. you start at the outer yeah of course you work, do yeah. yeah relative to they nothing sounds as good down near the end of the record okay down towards the center yeah but making the best of it means putting the fast high frequency songs at the beginning of the record yeah. makes them pop the higher them. fidelity yeah that's so, neat. So anyway, that's why they stick these kind of songs at the end. So what is I Can Wait Forever good for on this album? Was it good for? Well, yeah. I don't know. Did you hear it in the movie? I don't, I don't think I heard it. In I the... didn't hear it in the movie either. <laughs> but hey, Air supplies on the soundtrack. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Maybe if I bring it to the grade eight dance, I can have a slow dance with somebody the air supply yeah there you go some 80s girl Side two, Hot Nights with Laura Branigan. Finally, a female vocalist. Yeah, some chick rock. It's taken six songs, and she's the only one on the whole album, isn't she? Yeah, I guess she is. It's occurred to me that almost all the music I listen to now, Mm -hmm. all the new music I listen to, is almost all female vocalists now. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening to Churches. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to, with the V. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to Always with the two Vs, the Canadian band. I'm listening to Courtney Barnett from Australia. Mm-hmm. Almost all my favorite current indie rock kind of stuff yep. is with female vocals. But I realize yeah. almost everything I listened to in the 80s was almost just men. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, our Midnight Oil podcast is, it doesn't oh, get yeah, much sure. more male it than doesn't. Midnight Oil. Yes. Yeah. Except for <laughs> when Amy Lou Harris shows up. That one time. Yeah. Yes. I enjoyed listening to Laura Branigan. Like, there's some fun. Is it derogative to refer to this as chick rock? Somebody might take offense, but do you think... I don't mean to be offensive with it. If we manage to get so many listeners that somebody gets offended at that... We'll count that as success. That's almost a win. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) this song, Laura Branigan here, this chick rock, it reminds me of some of the good chick rock that I did enjoy back in the 80s, like Pat Benatar stuff, listening to Heart. 
yeah. uh, Patty Smith. Yeah. So I was glad to hear. Would Laura you put Brandon. heart in Chick Rock? If yeah, Chick Rock ever... Barracuda? That's like total strong bad. Yes, totally. It's just like limousine. I, I guess I'm more wondering about your definition of chick rock, but maybe I should <laughs> stop saying it because maybe it finally is gay offensive. Some awesome, ridiculous twin guitar. Yeah. But yes. I really, I this is this, this is, is good. a good one. This didn't make it into my top three. No. But I really did enjoy this hot one. Hot Night. Hot so, Nights. So this is <laughs> Hot Nights. So this is another weird one. Uh, this is a minor song again. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I believe that. The chorus is in A minor. The verse is in, strangely, in E flat minor. And that's like a tritone uh, key change where you're splitting like normally you go from the one to the four or one to the five in the scale mm-hmm. you go, i know you've taught me about tritones in the past but it's I the don't one remember. in the middle it's the weird note in the the middle some people call it the devil's chord or mm. whatever yeah it's an unusual key change that the song has uh, between each verse so yeah yeah Yep, I like the cool synth stuff going on. I like the guitar stabs that are going on particularly in the in the pre-chorus there the drums just a lot of 16th notes going on in in the hats. Maybe shakers or the shakers going on there too or something like that. But I blame this kind of tempo style of rock from the 80s as making me predisposed to playing things fast on the drums. I just want to, like, this kind of song is like, yeah, this would be a lot of fun to play. Just get in there on the hats and let's just play it really fast. This is this is a fun song. Very fast tempo, eh? Yeah. Or at least it has the feel because of the 16s. Yeah. yeah. This song is played at uh, in the background at Lewis's party. You just get a little <laughs> yeah. bit of that. So that's where this song comes into, into play uh, in the movie. And uh, actually, you know, it's interesting. One of the songs that didn't make it onto the soundtrack, but made it onto, like, the... 2006 they did like this other ghostbusters soundtrack in 2006 which has more of the instrumental stuff and drops in a couple songs that didn't make it onto here is disco inferno which is also playing at lewis's party says hey maybe if we start dancing people will start dancing with us oh yeah you're playing disco inferno the the tall blonde lady casey Kasem's wife really yes that's gene Kasem. she's hilarious she is hilarious (laughs) But well, what I wanted to ask you, Robin, is yep. what is the connection between this song and the movie? Like we were talking about cleaning up the town, giving like the mythic quality to the storytelling. We're talking about saving the day and stuff like that. Yeah, I can imagine I Can Wait Forever was probably some sort of love thing between Venkman and Dana. But what is this hot night that Laura Branigan's singing about in relation to Ghostbusters? Yeah, you don't think it's like the key master and it's oh. it's foreshadowing the the gatekeeper and the key master. I actually never made that connection. Maybe it is. I was thinking maybe the Ghostbusters wearing those like onesie jumpsuits working all night long. They're just getting really hot. It's going to be a hot night <laughs> in the Ghostbusters outfits. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder about. Uh... <laughs> there's some there's some stuff going on in some of these songs. 
typical 80s stuff that probably for better than worse went over my head (laughs) as a as 11 year old old. yes what are these hot nights that she's talking about it's gonna be a hot night in the old town tonight Song number seven. Magic. By Mick Smiley. Yeah, I don't know Mick Smiley. Mick Smiley, he just did a few things. He didn't write this song on his own. Okay, before I tell you who helped him write this song, yeah. does this song remind you of any other 80s bands in particular? Maybe I'll play just a, a snippet of it from you from the beginning while you blow your nose, and then maybe it'll remind, maybe you'll think of something. Phil Collins in the air tonight. That totally is Phil Collins in the air tonight, but let's keep listening. Maybe it's more in the second. Let's start from the beginning. This is one of those songs where you kind of get like the two for one out of it, right? There's kind of like the slower. Yeah. Um, There's the song very, the, at the beginning, the big A part, and then a long yeah. B part. Yeah. Okay. Is, yeah. is that what you would? Well, that that's why I was just saying it's like got two sections. Yeah. And it doesn't really go back again. No, it, it just, doesn't. It's just like here's a new song for you. Yeah. But it's really the same one. Yeah. Doesn't this song sound a little bit to you like the Cars? Yeah. Especially okay. the B part. I think it, it kind of it reminds me of the Cars. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. That's right. The second part is yeah. Like a, yeah. The way that Mick sings and and musically it does, so you know who helped Mick write this song? No, nope. Rick Ocasek from the Cars. From the Cars. Yeah. No surprise, knowing that that it kind of sounds like that. And I even wondered, is this Rick? And he just didn't want to release it as himself, so yeah. this is his pseudo name. I'm not Rick. I'm Mick. <laughs> I don't know. And then I looked it up. No, it, it appears that, that, yes. Mick is a real person. Mick Smiley. Like, that even sounds like a fake name. Yeah. But it, apparently he's he's the real guy. Yeah. He does his, his own thing. But yeah, we were talking about, okay, what does the beginning of the song sound like? Total Phil Collins yeah. in the air tonight with those with those really musical toms. Eh? Yeah, those ga- and heavily the gated, gated drums. drums yeah. yeah. But there's so much tone and pitch to like the toms that mm-hmm. are playing, and that kind of goes throughout that first section of the song. Yes, there's that keyboard pad going on there, but it's I thought it was really interesting how, and I probably can hear it now that I've noticed it in this song, in other 80s songs, but so much of the tonality and musicality of this song is coming from the drums, yeah, which is something that even as a drummer, I don't think of. Yeah, so there can be a musical riff, two, three notes, yeah, being played on the drum simultaneously. It's mostly rhythm, yep. But there's that changing pitch yep. that we do pick up on as a melody, yeah, or, uh, yeah. or at least a bass riff, or yeah, whatever. for yeah. sure. It's just like some crazy stereo separation hmm. um, in the music too, which is which is kind of neat. Um, there's no bass, really, to speak of until the chorus comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, his 
mumbly vocal delivery is very like for the verses yeah. before like you know it really he belts it out for the yep. chorus yeah but those verses are mumbly in a way that doesn't sound like the 80s to me it sounds like the 90s and yeah, into, the sure. into the 2000s with the kind of indie rock there's yep. a, a lo-fi yeah feel yeah with this uh, indistinct mumbly kind of vocal, talky mumbly, yes, yeah. it is singing. Yeah, but it's yeah, that's it's right. it's not that kind of crisp in your face thing that we expect from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another thing, besides in the air tonight, uh, that opening, the syncopated drums and the synths. Yeah. Uh, Rihanna was reminded of Sufjan Stevens. Happy oh, Karma yeah. Christmas. Okay. Which is one of his, uh, you know, he's written like hundreds of Christmas songs yeah. or something. Yeah. And uh, so, and she's got a, a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of them. Okay. Um, and she's like, oh, that's like har- Happy Karma Christmas. <laughs> so we, we should mention that. In yeah, sure. I clip. should give that a listen. So yeah, we were talking about like the A part and the B part, song one and song two. The first song is kind of this love ballad. And then you've got song number two, which is yeah, or part two, or part yep. two, yeah, which is so cool to me. And it comes in the movie at the point where Peck shuts down the containment system, <laughs> yes, and then all the ghosts are escaping out of the top of the firehouse into the city, and it's like we're going into the the third act of the movie here, where things have just gone haywire yeah. big time yeah you think well ghostbusters headquarters that's our home yeah and that's like it looks like it's destroyed it yeah. looks like it's getting wrecked yeah. and uh and all that work the ghostbusters did to trap all those ghosts yeah. is, is wasted yeah <laughs> and then and it's like an apocalypse it's like yeah, yeah exactly and then this cool music starts playing the second half of the song yeah. with like a totally different rhythm and it's just kind of transforms from this ballad to this edgy rhythmic yeah synthy kind of thing it's got it's got droney feel like in a good way repetition and yeah that. and even his lyrical delivery there it's yeah. just the repetition it's funny i was about to sing it but i was about to sing it incorrectly because when i was a kid i didn't get the lyrics right there must be another song which talking about three being a magic number but the lyric is please please i believe in magic magic right i always thought it was three years Three is magic, and I was associating three as a magic number. Three is a magic number is the pilot episode of Schoolhouse Rock, the Schoolhouse Rock series. Okay, I wonder if that's where I was getting. And there was it from. a song, the title song, written and sung by Bob Doro. Three is a magic number. Okay, is... I wonder if my so some Schoolhouse, schoolhouse rock, has... rock mind was bringing that into it. <laughs> that's what I thought. I never got the please, please, because. Let's ask the question again, just like we asked, okay, what's the, the hot night that Laura Branigan's singing about? Yeah. What's the magic that Mick Smiley is singing about? 
he's probably got some amorous intentions or something. <laughs> As my adult mind listens to this, perhaps. Yeah. Although the way it was used in the movie, yeah, makes me like the word magic is being yes repurposed for supernatural. Yes, it for, is. Yeah. yeah, and I think my eleven-year-old mind or whatever was was picking up on that yeah. part of it and totally oblivious to the romantic undertones <laughs> of the song. Is he like rapping at the end of the song? Or well, somebody is? We've we've had this debate before. Have we? Yes. Does does this Talking. constitute a rap? I don't think it constitutes a rap, but yeah, he's doing like that talky singing kind of thing. Is the lyric he's talking but he's kind of quoting what she's saying to him and i was unsure of it's the power of your magic words or the power of your magic wand oh yeah that might be my favorite song on the album wow just like because of the second part and and the place it holds in the movie and just the coolness of it saving the day in the name of love magic those are my top three wow do you have a favorite on the album i don't know. i'd almost say like cleaning up the town is my favorite yeah, or something it's, yeah it certainly is fun i listened to this i probably only listened to this maybe a half a dozen times recently in the yeah. last few weeks i listened to it once and the first time i listened to it was like oh wow there's a lot of fun songs on this album and i was expecting that i would quickly tire of them but with the exception of air supply yeah they are fun. I like these fun yeah. songs. This yeah, is just a nice little song. And, yeah. and really, there's only what? How many? There's six non air supply, non repeated, like non instrumental. There's six fun yeah. songs. Tidy little EP. Yes, it should have been. Okay. You're looking at me now like we should be wrapping this thing up. title theme yes ghostbusters by elmer bernstein yes now you know what yeah when i was listening to this and i didn't look at the credits yet i was saying oh yeah this is great this is one of those danny elfman songs and then i looked no it's elmer bernstein yeah i was hearing danny elfman who did the simpsons theme yeah he was oingo boingo right yeah yeah so that's right and like you can tell it's this is not john williams no soundtrack it's not yeah yeah which is i mean john williams did all these great movies oh, yeah. and everything yeah, obviously sure. he's talented and yes. he's written all kinds of great themes but there's something in his style like there's something fairly samey about a lot of his themes too yeah where you think oh yeah that's yeah. That's, that's, a john, john williams. that's john williams yeah. and we're glad he did et know, and ET raiders and, and star yeah. wars and all that yeah but elmer bernstein's when i hear his music okay so I have to say, Elmer Bernstein did the soundtrack for a movie called Slipstream from 1989. Is that the Mark Hamill one? Yes. Yeah. And, and this is one of my favorite movies of all time, Slipstream. Hmm. It's a really weird movie. Yeah. And it misses the mark. It did so poorly that the they didn't even bother renewing the copyright on it. So it became a public domain movie. Really? Even though it was 89. It was directed by Steven Lisberger, who is the director of Tron. Oh, wow. Yeah. Although 
the, the director of Tron has hardly done any other movies ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, it's strange career. I yeah, guess. Um, I, I've seen Slipstream once. Okay, and I thought that was enough for me. But maybe I should <laughs> I've, give it another watch. Oh, I've watched it like a dozen times. Yeah, so, eh? yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm saying it's one of my favorite movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like a lot of movies that aren't good, really good. <laughs> But it doesn't mean I like all bad movies. Yeah, yeah, you have eclectic tastes. I have a particular taste. And yeah, Slipstream is great. So anyway, he did the soundtrack for that. Okay. And there was a weird release of the soundtrack, which never happened before. Just 10 years ago, somebody did this limited CD release that mm-hmm. supposedly had the proper rights. Okay. But I don't think it really did have the proper rights. Yeah. And anyway, I, I bought the Slipstream soundtrack on CD. And so I can hear, when I listen to these couple... Ghostbusters themes. Yeah. I hear those Elmer Bernsteinisms. Yeah. Which unfortunately I still lack the words to adequately mm. describe. Okay. There will be like plucked string yes. parts. Yeah. There's melody, but there's also rhythm yeah. to them. Yeah. That is usually absent from like a John Williams kind of thing. Sure. I don't have a lot of language to describe movie score, or yeah. movie comp. It's a whole nother world. It is. That I'm I enjoy, but I don't ever try analyzing it, and I don't really... Yeah. Yeah. I have some words that I wrote down for these two songs, so maybe I'll throw some of them out and see yeah. how they resonate with you. Circusy. Oompa-pa band. Oh, yeah. Tubas and trombones. Oh, yeah. That playfulness, that goofiness that you might associate with, like, a circus, like, the Ghostbusters are kind of clowns at points in their career. And this song seems to play that up. But it also does the spooky stuff neat. Like it almost sounds like maybe there's a theremin Yeah, here? Yeah, we were wondering if that's a theremin. It's just a flute, like a synthesized flute. Yeah. But yes, there is a theremin sound to it. Yeah, and whatever it is, it evokes that spooky sci-fi kind of sound. So yeah, it sounds a bit like a theremin. It does. Which is an early electronic musical instrument. Yeah, and it's not like playing specific notes. It's like if you were to play like a violin or something that doesn't have frets, you can play all of them. Yeah, and the, the closer or further you move your hand from the device... That changes the pitch of yep. it. Our own Jim Magini from Midnight Oil plays yes. one sometimes. Yeah. The hands and the wand control pitch and um, intensity. It's all swelling and sliding yeah. and glissandos all over. It has a like a female soprano, mm-hmm. high high pitched opera singer. It has a qual- a human yeah. quality to the voice. Yeah. It's kind of got that spookiness into it as well. It uses the clarinets going up and down, violins going up and down to evoke some sort of spookiness, supernaturalness. But it also, at the same time, kind of has that silly funniness to it as well. So it's a really neat blend of those kind of emotions and sounds that really suit the film. Oh, for for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's really well done. Yeah, now apparently Bernstein wasn't very happy with how the soundtrack worked out. No. Uh, for, I mean, not just the, the record release, but in the movie itself, 
that they put so much 80s music yeah in it and because uh, Bernstein had actually composed lots of, you know a lot more yeah but the rock and well the various styles of music yeah were used heavily in the movie yeah I can't say that I regret like I like the soundtrack yeah and I think it fits the mood of the movie well yeah but it dates the movie mm-hmm. but that's kind of yeah. okay yeah yeah I guess when I come to watch the movie again like I understand that it's an 80s movie and I and I watch it partially for those nostalgic throwbacky type reasons right so yeah. I, I enjoy it yeah. in the 2006 um additional soundtracky type release that soundtrack i was mentioning two. earlier yeah apparently more of of elmer's stuff makes it onto that yeah or maybe it is all that kind of stuff with and then they threw in disco inferno and stuff so elmer could say see look it's all the good stuff yeah and just one disco inferno <laughs> Dana's theme yeah. is the next one, another one by Elmer. Harps, maybe theremin again in it? Yeah, like we're hearing the same, whether it's a synthesized flute or a theremin, it's quite prominent. Yeah, well apparently, and this is this was kind of neat because we were talking in the Commodore 64 user's guide yeah. portion of this podcast, whether or not we're listening to a separate one right now or not, we're not sure. Yeah. But we were talking the sound chapter about the ADSR envelope, the attack yeah. decay sustain relief. Release. Relief. Ah, it's finally over. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the synth ways to make sounds, and that's how the Commodore 64 makes sounds. Yeah. So I was reading that... That's called the volume envelope, hey? Ah, the it's volume really, envelope. Really, because that's what it's doing, is controlling yeah, okay. the volume. Yeah, sure, sure it yeah. is. So that's how um, many synths worked, but not the synth that... Elmer Bernstein is using primarily on this. He's using a, a Yamaha DX7, which is one of these FM synths. So it's oh, got yeah, like just FM. a bunch of my understanding, and maybe you understand this more than I do because you have daughters who are into these kind of things. Yeah. Is instead of having a waveform that is either like a sawtooth or a sine wave or a square wave and affecting it by this attack, how quickly it comes in the decay, how long it sustains and then releases. Yeah. You've just got a bunch of different uh, frequency modulated waves to choose from, and you can kind of layer them on top of each other and blend them in and out to make different tones and sounds and effects out of it. Okay, yeah. Uh, I will not argue with yeah, you. Yeah, so it's just kind of a, an interesting way to layer lots of different sounds to get what you're getting. So you have got you get like your classic string sounds and your bell sounds and stuff out of these type of synths. Apparently it also has like this breath expression type thing. So I wonder if like some of the theremin type things or even the flute type sounds that we hear in these two songs... Are, are using that type of thing mm. to get that sort of expression out of it. Yeah. This is a, a good song. It's a nice counterpoint to kind of the silliness that's going on in the the main, the main, the main theme. title theme. Yeah, yeah the main the theme. theme. Yeah, so this is Dana's theme. So a little bit more wistful, a little bit more longing. It's it's trying to express that unrequited love, perhaps, Yeah. that Venkman's got toward... I don't know. Is it unrequited love, or is he just... Well, he's kind of an annoying, creepy guy yeah. who, I guess, 
does prove himself. Yeah. In fact, he kind of rises to that challenge. Like he, he creates his own challenge out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that she never really agrees to. Yeah. But in a way he does do it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think he at least sort of wins her over. Yeah. Yeah. It fits well, you know, that's used oh. in the, in the, in the film and yeah, great. Nice. Yeah. Well done. Do you have any other thoughts on this one? No, there's not much more for me to say. Yeah. Yeah. I know you've got some secrets, some trivia to tell me about the Ghostbusters instrumental. I'm expecting great things from you, Mr. Harbin. Where did this come from? I don't... Didn't you tell me this like an hour and a half ago when we started talking about Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr.? Well, there's only a couple things to say about it. <laughs> there's no words. It's it's Ghostbusters without the words. Yeah, and no shouting. No shouting. It's got a, a couple different bits. Like there's a little there's a new breakdown in it. Yeah, and the, the ending is quite a bit different. Yeah, yeah, it, and it that's kind of, kind of fun. Yeah. What happens during the breakdown? Um, it's kind of got a more of a spooky breakdown. Um, instead of just doing like the drum stuff, boom, boom, chicka, 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 ding, ding, near, near, near. It brings in like the synthy spooky. I'm saying spooky a lot. This yeah, episode. this is a spooky episode. It's bringing in that that kind of moody, synthy, scary, sci-fi type sounding thing into it. It's got more of that spooky ending as well. Yeah, so the ending around 4.15, mm-hmm. this bonus ending. Uh, so there's all this really weird harp. Yeah. Just doing almost like random sounding notes. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and then there's just this long sustained yeah. low note. There's like a little whip, 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 which is like these little almost glitches or blips or something towards it at the very end. Yeah. It's really quiet. Yeah. Yeah. It ends in a strange way. Yeah. But it's, it's appropriate. It's fun. Yeah. But I don't think I had anything else neat to say no about No surprises it. or trivia about that. Okay. No. Why did you think I did? I don't know. I thought, I thought that... we were talking about that Peter Garrett thing, the air supply. That was the... Oh, maybe that's what it was. Told, but it wasn't yeah. a big deal either. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. You know what we can say at the end of the podcast? Nope. It's time to lift the needle off the record. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Look at that. I picked a topic that we could actually talk about for a while. Oh, yeah. Do you have any ideas about what you want to talk about next time? Oh, yeah. Make a couple suggestions of what you think I would want to talk about. I think you should pick a toy. I think it'd have to be Lego. They'll go on forever. Yeah, okay, maybe not. I want to talk about Space Lego. That's a good topic. Let's talk about Space Lego. From the 70s into the 80s. Perfect. Classic Space Lego. I can talk about that. But if I'm going to talk about Lego, you've got to talk about something... Electronic. Yeah. 
I would like to talk about a video game, an arcade game. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about Frogger. We can talk about Frogger in the arcade, Frogger in the little uh, desktops, Frogger on the watch. Okay. So let's talk about Frogger. Frogger it is and Classic Space Lego. Wow. Well, Darren. Well, Robin. That sure was a long night. It was. We started at like 8 p.m. and now it's pushing 1 a.m. Oh, man alive. It's tomorrow. It is tomorrow. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to us. If you've made it this far, either you've fallen asleep and you've just woken up again. Yeah. Or maybe you're really enjoying listening to us. Yeah. Uh, Either way, we're glad that you've made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at thecouch.website. We have lots of fun show notes, links to videos and stuff that we talk about in our podcast. You'll also find a contact form for us. You'll find our how to get in touch with us on Twitter. We'll remind you right now, I'm at Darren the Folds, and he's... Bedford LVL EXP. Bedford yeah. Level Experiment. Go to thecouch.website. You'll find other episodes. You'll find our other podcasts as well. If you enjoyed our style of music analysis, then you might enjoy a comfortable place on the couch. You may. If you enjoyed Growing Up 80s, please share it with your friends or give us a positive review on iTunes. We would appreciate that. Yeah. Have we got any reviews yet, Darren? I don't know that we have. You might be the first one. Yeah. You can sway all of the Apple people. That's right. With your excellent review. So join us next time. What's this podcast called? Growing Up 80s. Good night. Good night.